Today is Sunday, December 18th, 2016, and this is episode 180 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Hey, Jerry. How are you? Long time no podcast. I know. It's been uh, like, I don't know, five days, four days. <laughs> yes. Well, we did the mashup, uh, you know, but we haven't had a Defensive Sec podcast in a couple weeks since That's true. life's been crazy busy, but... Uh, yeah. but glad we're here my house is finally back in order so the you know the uh, the, the defensive security studio is mostly back in operation that's true well you know when you go on vacation and people move in and turn it into a grow house this is what happens that's that is true and you gotta shoo all the llamas out yep mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then clean up all the all the llama party you know remains yeah yeah they can make a mess it's tough it's tough but here we are so Anyway, welcome back. Good to be back. Happy holidays to everyone. Indeed. Happy Ranahana Kwanzaas. Yeah. I think that I think that captures pretty much everything most people would celebrate that might celebrate this time of year who might listen to us. That's right. So uh, just a reminder before we get into the show that the thoughts and opinions we express are ours and do not represent those of our employers. So first up today, we have a story from bleepingcomputer.com. By the way, if you're not familiar with Bleeping Computer, um, it, it's a uh, it's kind of emerged as like the de facto place to talk about ransomware infections. So it's it's kind of an interesting site if you're not familiar with it. And the the title here is "New Scheme: Spread Popcorn Time Ransomware Get a Chance of Free Decryption Key." And uh, I mentioned this a little bit on that on that show on the the Mashup show. So you you may or may not have heard of this before, but uh, anyway, there's a, a a strain of ransomware called Popcorn Time, which, by the way, is not to be confused with the uh, illicit file sharing tool. Um, that uh, you know, it seems seems pretty standard fare, you know, in terms of its operation. But where it goes a little a little sideways is that uh, it offers would be victims an an alternative way to get your files back. So rather than rather than paying the one Bitcoin ransom to get your files, uh, you have a you have an alternative, which is to send a customized link, which is basically a uh, an exploit kit with some you know some tailored uh, identifier tag to get back to you, so it can be attributed to you. And uh, if you if you infect two of your friends and they end up paying the one Bitcoin ransom, then you get your files back uh, allegedly. Although you only have six or six days, I think, to uh, to complete the the, the deal. So um, this is a this is an interesting evolution in ransomware, in my view. And um, I I really think we're going to continue to see what I'll call market innovation in uh, in the ransomware business. And, you know... Th- you, you might even say disruptive innovation. Dis, dis, exactly. Disruptive innovation in the business models. 
I'm looking ransomware. forward to Tim Ferriss's book on ransomware market disruption. Crossing the crossing the the, the ransomware chasm, yes. <laughs> Inside the malware tornado. <laughs> oh boy! So um, so yeah, the, the, there's yeah, I guess not a again not a ton of uh, from a from a malware perspective innovation in this, but it's really the I think the business model that's um that's kind of concerning to me and we're, i think we're starting to see the the ransomware purveyors getting creative and you know again this probably from a business context isn't incredibly material but i i'm i'm calling it a harbinger of of things to come and you know again put your helmet on because uh <laughs> things are getting bad you know what else is interesting that I found on this one was when the when you have been encrypted and they pop up the whole you know warning message and tell you about what's going on and they tell you what you have to do and how long you have to do it. One thing that I found really interesting is why, with, quoting from from their pop up, why we do that. We are a group of computer science students from Syria, as you probably know. Syria is having a bad time for the last five years. Blah blah blah. Lots of people died. Personally, lost a bunch of people myself. Uh, the sad part of this war is that all parts keep fighting, but eventually we, the poor and simple people, suffer. Watch our family, friends die every day. Um, be perfectly sure that all the money that we get goes to food, medicine, and shelter to our people. We are extremely sorry that we are forcing you to pay, but that's the only way we can keep living. Now, whether or not that's actually true, I'm going I'm to say it's probably not true, first off. Um, but it's an interesting psychological angle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so you know, you're, you're a good person. You want to help. And you're like, well, you know, this is terrible. But, hey, at least the, the Bitcoin is going to a good cause. Feels more like a donation, right? Right. Right. Which is an, another interesting sort of psychological aspect of this as opposed to, you know, just fueling some Eastern European crime syndicate, which is probably more likely to be the case. But uh, so, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting about this one. Yeah, very interesting. I, I I do think at some point, you know, some charity, some legitimate charity may actually, or pseudo legitimate charity, may uh, may start using ransomware as a as a means of funding itself. <laughs> kind of like kind of the old like NASA at home, you know, SETI at home sort of thing. But you know. yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, the Red Cross sponsored ransomware. Right. The right. the Salvation Ransom Army. It's I mean, think of it as like a Robin Hood type thing, right? Well, yes, but that's a common misnomer. Robin Hood didn't rob from the rich and give to the poor. He robbed from the government that gave back to the people that the government robbed from. Whatever. Don't fall don't, into this populist don't, dogma. Don't don't ruin my my vision. You picked the wrong co-host for that, buddy. Don't 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 mess with me. All right. So <laughs> moving on. To our next story comes from Ars Technica, and the title is Disgraced IT Workers Stole Confidential Expedia Emails After He Left. Holy cow, this story is just amazing. Yeah, and they kind of almost bury the lead. Yeah. So um so so this this person in person, Jonathan Lai, I guess it's Lai or Lee. Uh, in in San Francisco, worked for Expedia from uh, I guess 2013 through 2015, or or at least this is when he was perpetrating the the scheme. 
he was monitoring the email, reading the emails of the CFO and I guess uh, the head of investor relations and other no, high-ranking employees. Let's be clear because because the, 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 the title is misleading. Oh, yes. While he worked there, while he was employed as an admin, as an IT specialist, he was reading uh, yes. these these high-level people's emails. Yes. Correct. Not after. So so it starts with the comment of that he you know kept reading emails after he left, but this was while he was there what? he was reading. Correct. While while he was there, he was employed. Um, he, he started the scheme. I'm, I'm not exactly sure when he started working at Expedia, but he started this scheme in 2013 where he was reading the email of the CFO, the head of investor relations and other high ranking employees. And uh, he, he continued doing that through October 2015. However, he left the company in April of 2015. And one might ask how was he able to do that? And the answer is that they didn't take his laptop back and they didn't deactivate his IDs. After, by the way, he was already uh, sort of, you know, doing all this insider training. Oops. Oopsie. <laughs> Oopsie. So anyway, um, what what apparently he had been doing was, uh, mon- again, monitoring these, these people's email because I, I guess in his capacity... As an IT person, he he must have been some sort of an administrator. That doesn't say what his job function was, but you can kind of under you can kind of extrapolate that he had uh, you know, some kind of privileged access to their email system of of, of some nature, and um, which leads me to believe that maybe he was a sysadmin type person. Uh, anyway, he was he was getting um, you know had early copies of um of profit or uh, the the SEC filings the quarterly reports and and uh other press releases uh, that yeah, were going to go out right and and he was he was trading that so he would sell if something was looking bad he would sell before before the news came out if it was going to be if, good he would buy it of course the SEC has never seen this scheme before no or <laughs> never, right? And they couldn't possibly clue into that. Oh yeah, he got caught. So, um, so uh, apparently though, uh, he even even with that information, he wasn't, I guess, very good because he only made a, made three hundred thirty one thousand dollars over the course of two years. Um, I don't know. Maybe he didn't have a lot of money to trade with. I I don't know, or didn't know about options. Who, who knows? Anyway, uh, he he pled guilty to securities fraud and agreed to pay back 375,000 bucks which is the 331,000 plus interest uh but but also apparently he still remains to be charged by the SEC for for the actual insider trading so um you know more to come on on that angle but you know that I I think the 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 thing that resonated with me about this particular story I guess there's a couple things. You know, one is we we often and and this is just my my view and I've talked about this on the show in the past. You know, we we often think about the threat actors as our user population and the external people. We often don't think of the threat actors as our own IT department. And and uh, you know that's that's especially when you're in a when you are in a regulated industry or um, you know a, a large publicly traded company. It's it it is a 
it is a, a potential problem. We are starting to see. But, but is that a is that a pocket case? I mean, if we take a look at like Verizon data breach reports and other data breach reports, the vast majority of actual found breaches are typically externally initiated. Uh, so, are, I mean, are we? If we look at the eighty twenty rule, we've got you know limited resources to deploy. I'm not saying we ignore it, but I'm saying is it. Are we outsizing the risk? Possibly so. You know, the one, I guess the one thing that I'll say is we don't, I'm not confident that we really understand how big the risk is, mm. you know, because if you have, if you have valid access, you know, to, to the, to the data, the only way that it's going to become realized or recognized that, that something bad happened generally is through something like this, right? You, yeah. where you get, where you get caught uh, I suspect people read, you know, people are reading email that they shouldn't be reading all the damn time in, in many companies. And it's it's for the most part a benign, uh, benign thing. Uh, but I know that, for instance, the, you know, the, uh, the, the banking regulators here in the U.S. are, are, are pretty strict on the concept of, of administrator access and, and monitoring administrative access and controlling it. And for good reason. Uh, but you're right. I, I think if you were to line it up, it's it's not as pressing a problem as a lot of other a lot of other things. But I, having said that, though, you know, the, the, again, a lot of these attacks are are kind of a you know graph theory type deal where just because it wasn't the administrator, right? I mean, look at look at um, oh boy. I guess I can't even name some names here, right? But there have been many companies in the past who have been breached by uh, their their administrators, their sysadmins, being compromised, right? And right. so, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. that becomes they, they become a unwitting, unwittingly become insider threats. Yes, correct, Absolutely. correct. But in this case, you know, they could have saved themselves a lot of pain just by having an accurate and you know, useful termination policy to actually shut down accounts and turn off VPNs. I don't know. Call call me crazy. Now that that part just completely blows my mind. I mean, I I, I can understand a smaller company, right? I I really am having a hard time getting my head around this happening at a company like Experian. I mean, not Experian, Expedia. Sorry, Experian. Um. Yeah, it, it just doesn't seem like something that would happen there. Uh, this is a very, very basic thing. Um, and, you know, and there's really, by the way, there's two dimensions this could have been caught on, right? Terminate his IDs. Yep. And get his laptop back. Right. And apparently they failed on both parts. Well. So, um, you know, but again, coming on that point, that's just basics, right? I mean, this there's nothing sophisticated about that. No. And one might argue that perhaps the controls to spot the insider trading worked. The SEC caught him and investigated and prosecuted him. Or is, is prosecuting them. Yeah. That's you true. Know? I mean, they have very, I'm told, fairly sophisticated algorithms to spot this sort of behavior. Uh, but who knows? You know. We'll see. Possibly so, yeah. I do appreciate the stock art on this one of just, you know, the handcuffs. That's good. And, you know, 
Yeah, they went all out on that. It's slightly better than the you know the the hacksaw and the hoodie over a laptop. Yeah, holding the standing up typing on the laptop. Yeah, right, awesome. right. <laughs> all right, our next story also comes from Ars Technica, and the title is "Millions Exposed to Malvertising That Hid Attack Code in Banner Pixels." This one's pretty interesting, fairly sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so apparently this has been going on for. Uh, for quite some time, but what what's happened in re- in very recent recent months is that apparently these actors have uh, have moved on to some really major uh, advertising or online advertising companies. They don't say which ones, but here's the here's the deal. So the many of the online advertising companies inspect the ads looking for malicious code. And as as they should, but what what this group has found, and they're calling this attack group Stegano, as in steganography. Uh, but what what uh, the way the attack works is that the 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 banner ad is a JPEG, and they have the attackers have encoded into the alpha channel of the JPEG. Uh, the actual, you know, quote payload of the malware, which basically is a dropper, right? It, I mean, let's let's not be overly dramatic. It's a it it just reaches out and pulls down some some malware if you're running uh, Windows. I'm sorry, Internet Explorer. But basically, uh, the the JavaScript that runs, which looks to the banner ad companies, um, is benign right what it does is it it actually grocks the uh the, the image it pulls out the alpha the data in the alpha channel does some massaging on it and, and that actually is a is a script which goes and pulls down some malware from a couple of websites and uh and it you know it's it's um it's kind of interesting what it does is it it um it formulates a a response back to the command and control server with a bunch of data that's embedded in it, including, you know, what operating system you're running, what browser you're using and a bunch of other stuff to detect what, what, or to tell it what kind of, um, uh, what kind of payload to push down to you as, as part of the, you know, the, the, the chain of events. But um, yeah, it's, this is a really interesting. All of this to potentially, hide from researchers correct right yeah so it's trying to figure out are you likely to be a sophisticated user that might understand what's going on and therefore expose them and shut them down right so it it looks at all sorts of things like virtual machines and all sorts of stuff to figure out do you just get the normal happy banner or do you get the malicious banner good point that's right that's right and all that stuff is uh is is again hidden in the uh in the the image I could be naive in this statement, but I still am puzzled why we can't just say, look, no more dynamic content in ads. Why Why do you need JavaScript? Why do you need any of this? Why can't it just be static? And I get that that's not sophisticated enough for most ad companies, right? They want to be able to do profiling and user tracking and behavior and cookies and all that kind of jazz. But man. Well, that's that, that's exactly the, the problem. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, this is, one reason why I absolutely insist on running an ad blocker. Much to the chagrin of certain sites like, you know, Business Insider or Forbes and others that yell at me because I'm stealing food from 
yeah. big mouths. Or Forbes in particular, yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, until we stop seeing ads being a vector for malicious content, I, I can't in good, you know, good conscience not run an ad blocker. Oh, I, I agree. And, you know, I just don't think we can get there in, in the way with the way things are currently designed. I, I'm just not confident that there is a good way to get there. I, I, I think the end game here is that websites are going to have to find some other some other source of revenue. Probably ransomware. I mean, well, I mean, see, there you go. That's innovation mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the sites should cut out the middleman. Right. And just push down the ransomware themselves. Maybe different sites could bid for the least amount they're willing to take to give you, you know, ransomware. Ooh, that's a... Now, now, now you're talking. Like, this is, could be a whole, a whole market. It's true. I, I, this wow. could be the next version of Obamacare. I know. Came up with right here on the show. Make make the internet great again. <laughs> so back to the story. One thing I, I found interesting was the initial sort of uh, profile code apparently was its own vulnerability that the script that ran in the in the pixel, if this has been going on since 2014, it was a vulnerability in IE that allowed them to gather all this information that wasn't patched until late 2016. Right. So are they potentially burning an O-Day for two years and nobody caught it? Uh, and then the, the full exploit was actually if it could figure out you're running a vulnerable version of Flash. So it doesn't seem to indicate to me they were burning an O-Day on Flash, but Flash has what, 30 critical remote exploits every month patched so you know that's not hard to come by and people are bad about keeping flash up to date but it's interesting if they're running an oday against ie for all that time yeah my, I, the way i read that is i i don't think the uh i don't think that the attackers thought of that as an oday i think they just they just found a way way to get some some information yeah. out that probably shouldn't have been leaked functionality that you know right wasn't necessarily yeah, not not a true you know kind of remote code exploit kind of thing. Like, oh, you think of it just a, hey, if you query this and I eat, I'll tell you that kind of thing. Yeah, it was an information leakage, um, yeah. vulnerability, right? And, and Microsoft just turned that off. But yeah, that's a good point. So anyway, uh, but but I th- I think the the point is that all that does is it make it harder for the attackers <clears throat> to to avoid the the re- researchers. Um. You know, it's true because that that all that code was doing was looking for evidence of uh, you know virtual machines and things like that. So yeah, so I wonder if that would also dodge things like you know sandboxing technologies like FireEye and others. Hmm. Interesting stuff. I did note here, by the way, too, that that the flash vulnerabilities that they talked about <clears throat> one was from late 2015, and then one from early 2016, and then middle 2016. So Again, it could be, could be they were they were using some unknown vulnerabilities in Flash for a while, but who knows? This could be just when they particular it could have been updated over time to different vulnerabilities in Flash. Uh, this is when this particular version of the code got sampled. Yeah, that'd be my guess. You know, the yeah. the other thing uh, to your to your question about whether something like FireEye would would profile it, I suspect that FireEye would not profile the. Um, you know the interpretation of the image, right? But 
what it would profile is you know when when it pulled the code out and tried to go do something and then pulled some files down you know i think that's where where it would you know it would probably get caught which which makes me wonder if there isn't you know a future opportunity to embed the entire malware into the image somehow mhm uh I, that's you know i guess for future exploration i suppose uh, but yeah i think that you know the net is man head blockers <laughs> like just yeah. just it's a uh, you know i i understand i understand that um you know we we talk about the you know the the hierarchy of of threats and you know uh, you know this is maybe not the most pressing one but there's a simple simple solution <laughs> you just just install an ad blocker <laughs> and then move on right uh, and hopefully it's you know a decent ad blocker that runs well and yeah, not ad paid not ad block plus by the way yes yeah which i'm still using but i probably should switch off it because now they're Certain websites are paying them to not well, they're their, their own, ads. Yeah, they're their own ad network now. Yeah, which is, which is interesting. Ironic. And, and the problem with that is, you know, they say, well, we only allow clean malicious sites or non-malicious sites. But when you've got something like this going on that's being targeted against very well-known good sites, how can you trust that? Well, you can't. Yeah. That, and that's exactly the point. I, I think if you were to go to, you know, Google or, or any of the others, they would... They would probably tell you that they only allow reputable sites too. Yep. So hmm. anyway, moving on to our next story, which is a follow up. And this comes from Reuters and the the title is Exclusive. Some Bangladesh bank officials involved in heist, according to an investigator. Shocker. I know. Can you believe it? So there apparently are five bank officials. Really they they haven't said who they are or what positions they had. But five bank officials were guilty of negligence and uh, were un- the unwitting accomplices of foreign people who were, uh, who were apparently manipulating them, allegedly, to, uh, you know, to, to weaken security of the bank's connection to the SWIFT network. There's really no details about what actually that meant uh, although we we do know some you know some things from the past like they used really old router and it was connected to their network and you know in in hindsight I do wonder um, maybe some of those things we that had come out earlier are uh, not so accidental I guess so uh, anyhow uh, well. Accidental with intent or accidental out of convenience? Uh, with, well, within someone's intent. Right, but I guess what I'm saying is that really weak internal security may not have been the original plan. It just was easily exploited by insiders. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Right. So, more, you know, we may see more. Uh, it's not, not clear to me if we'll get to see the outcome of whatever charges... Uh, are filed here but uh, yeah uh this this is continuing to turn into a uh you know, quite a quite a story so uh, if if anything if anything new develops we will we will cover that too 
All right. Uh, moving on to our next story, which comes from Motherboard, uh, which is the, the vice.com technology site. The title here is newly discovered, uh, newly uncovered site suggests NSA exploits for direct sale. So uh, that we all recall the shadow brokers, I think, right? The shadow brokers, I guess it was about five or six months ago, released a bunch of files, which, uh, you know, ended up containing actual zero days for things like Cisco and, and other firewalls. Um, and that was allegedly just a sampling of of a much bigger pot of, of NSA tools, which there's a lot of debate on the, the source of those. Uh, however, uh, at the time, or shortly after the initial the initial drop, uh, the, the shadow brokers had requested, I think it was a, what a hundred million dollars in Bitcoin. It was it was non-trivial amount of money uh, for the for the the whole the whole kit and caboodle. But now, someone named Bocephus Cletus has gotten on the internet and and published a uh, a, a, a diatribe of sorts, saying that uh, in in terrible terrible Southern drawl. That um, that 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 the shadow brokers are now offering all of their their uh, I guess un previously unreleased implants on a on a a la carte menu for between one and uh, one hundred bitcoins, and you, they only by the way reference them by uh, code name, which given what we saw from the the Edward Snowden leaks, it. The the names do kind of look like NSA namey like, um, you know, th- <laughs> NSA namey things like enemy run and mm-hmm. um, egg some, basket. Some some of the hot boys names of 2017 is what I'm seeing. Yeah, damp crowd. Oh yeah, that one's that one's gonna be big. <laughs> Elated monkey. That's actually the name of my Elvis Costello cover band. Really? Yeah, believe it or not. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So uh so anyway, um a point here is it does they they do appear to be uh, based on some PGP signatures that it does appear to be um sourced from the same group that that originally released uh the first batch of files uh, at least according to motherboard. Um there there was some discussion up to now that this person named Hale Martin in the US uh, who was an NSA another NSA contractor by the way who you know apparently I think he was the one had had been amassing data for 20 years if I'm if memory serves and it had like terabytes of stuff and so but there you was, never know you never know when you might need it well I'm I'm I suspect that he just was backing things up and he you know he was probably really worried about ransomware I you know, and he I was just—that's brilliant. He was just trying to keep an offsite backup. Anyway, it worked out really badly for him, and and so now he's—you know—he's this uh, time maybe maybe not next time. Maybe next time he he fixes the ransomware. That's true. Maybe maybe the reason this all went wrong is that the NSA did get some ransomware and they were trying to find a backup, and somebody said, "Oh, that guy Hal Martin has a backup," mm. and and Hal wouldn't give it to him. So so anyway, um, could be 
I, th- I think this joke is dying. It, it is <laughs> dying Fine. terribly. But anyway, Hale, uh, um, at the in in recent times, has been alleged to be the source of the Shadow Broker stuff. There's been a lot of different, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of different debates and speculation on where it came from. One of the one of the most common or most popular speculations was that uh, somebody actually found the uh, this NSA toolkit on a on a server that the NSA had been using uh to to run some attacks and then they didn't properly clean it up but again there's really no nothing uh set in, you know there's there's no confirmed source but no, but you know it's setting the market for leaked NSA tools we're finding what the market actually is it, well that's true but here's i guess here's my my concern right there's a whole bunch of these. I don't know exactly the number. Um, doesn't I don't think it really says how many there are. But if it's anything like what we saw before, they probably are legitimate. I mean, if in fact they actually exist, uh, they they probably are legitimate. And I'll tell you what: if these get out into the world, you know, we're going to have some. You know, we we who are responsible for patching crap and securing crap are going to have some some tough days ahead. Maybe you know when this originally came out, we thought this was some really old code that was still in use, but not heavily in use. Right. Yeah. So. But but it, but in the case of what was it, Fortinet and uh, and Cisco, they actually were still current. I mean, they they, they were. Yeah, that's current. true. They they originally had thought that it was like only a couple years old code, but then they revised it and said it was right. some current. Code. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So uh, yeah, watch out. And you know, if if you want to look for a Christmas gift, that's true. That's true. Leaked I mean, NSA. Yeah, makes a perfect gift. I, you know, it's it's better than having somebody name a star after you on the star registry, which is recorded in copyright form in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. <laughs> and that makes it official. Sorry, I've heard that ad so many times lately. I'm like, oh, shut up. Uh-huh. Holidays are not not a good not a good time for me and advertisers. I, I can tell. I can tell. Uh, anyway, I, I, you know, we we've seen we've seen a, a I would say a pretty significant trend over the past two years of organizations who are you know quote unquote stockpiling vulnerabilities and exploits uh, getting compromised. You know, we saw it with um, Hacking Team and uh, the other the other French company and the NSA. And, uh, you know, this this stuff is apparently really hard to keep, to keep secret. So... Uh, well, maybe. I mean, they could have thousands and thousands and thousands more that we don't know about. Well, they, and they may. They may very well, but... Yeah. How many does but, how many does it take to make us have a bad day? Like they say, information wants to be free. It does. All right, moving on to our final story, which uh, oh, surprise, surprise, also comes from Ars Technica, and the title here is "What Can You Do with a Billion Yahoo Passwords?" Lots of bad things. Wait, did did something happen with Yahoo? A long time ago, yes. <laughs> Oh poor Yahoo! So, At but, some point, you just want to go. Oh, just let just just put them out of their misery. Just just 
Put them down. So you may recall that several months ago, we we discussed a a breach of five hundred million records from Yahoo, right? And and you may be inclined to think, well, maybe it wasn't five hundred million, maybe it was a billion, but you would be wrong, right? So so that that breach of five hundred million that we talked about apparently happened in two thousand fourteen. This breach of one billion records happened in two thousand thirteen, so it's a distinct breach and apparently the way that's 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 one billion with a b with a b wow yeah which by the way is like one seventh of the population of the earth which tells me that there's a lot of fake accounts (laughs) (laughs) or 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 spammer (laughs) i mean i I can only assume that you know probably 80 percent of those are like are, are bot created spam sending accounts Right, yeah. Those are not all discrete individual humans. Right. Maybe it's the Ashley Madison bots trying to become self-aware. <laughs> probably probably so. We want to be real. <laughs> anyway, um, I, it's, it's unclear to me why one breach had 500 million records stolen and another one had a billion. It's That's... Not at all clear, but apparently it wasn't, at, by the way, it wasn't just email, that, or um, not email, it wasn't just uh, user ID information, it was also code that was stolen at, at the time back in 2013. Oh, and, and a bunch of personal identifiable information too. Yes, yes. All names, birth dates, personal details, security questions, yep. uh, phone numbers, MD5 hashed passwords which as we know isn't fairly trivial to break right yeah yeah so and i th- i think that's the real story to me is that yahoo was not very mindful of security best practices that you know if you go in the the mindset of assume that you'll be breached you want to protect this sort of data assuming the bad guys get hold of it and and they took in many ways the the minimum sort of appearance of security without really building much real security into the, into this, this sort of stuff, which even in 2013 was common best practice. And, and, you know, we've talked about this a lot. There's always a trade-off in businesses. There's always limited resources and how and where you deploy your resources is, is very difficult to decide. Uh, so I got to think that at some point somebody said, you know, we could do this and somebody else said, no, we're going to spend these resources in this way. Or, you know, I'd like to believe that they didn't have just that naive of folks running this infrastructure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to say for sure. But one, in addition to what you just mentioned, another, I think another key point in the story is that back after the, the, the breach of the 500 million was discovered, their investigation didn't uncover this one billion user breach that we know of. That, yeah, that we know of. Right. The way this apparently was discovered was somebody found the data for sale <laughs> online, um, and I guess it was. Uh, I don't think it's mentioned in the story, but there was a. There's another story running around the internet that somebody apparently bought the billion dollar. Or, sorry, the billion records for three hundred thousand mm. dollars. So. You know, we'll more more to come on that, I'm sure. But um, 
and, and I, I guess another, you know, uh, the other part for me is where there seems to be more and more time between when these breaches are happening and when we're finding out about them. Now, are you saying that when we as the public find out about them or yes. when the corporations who are hacked find out about them? Well, I, when, particularly when we as the public find out about them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and and so I guess the point is that in the in the wake of these breaches, you know, what's the what's always the I mean other than the the, the credit monitoring, right? But what what's always the the guidance given? You know, go change your password. Right. Well, well, you needed to change your password, yeah. you know, two years ago. What and and the theory behind that is, if you're reusing your password someplace else, right? Same username and password, which goes back to why we have said so many times in this show, you really probably should have a password manager of some type, like a a LastPass or a OnePass or a you know KeePass or whatever you like, uh, and generate a unique randomized password for every single individual site that's that's really your best defense against this sort of thing because you cannot control how they store your passwords on the other end but you can limit the damage yeah that's true although i will tell you it's it is more complicated when someone has access to your email because yeah. because a lot of times your email can be used to reset you know to recover passwords if if someone has unfettered access to your email they can give you a bad day you know, and indeed. Well, uh, agreed. Although we are starting to see more things like some sort of two-factor based on SMS authentication. And before we get on the story about NIST saying it's I no longer secure, that's fine. Think, you fine. know, it, just stop it. I knew I could see it. I could see it in your eyes. I'm not, I wasn't going to go there. Yeah, you were. I, I knew you were. I wasn't going to go there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, but that's something you can look at too: is two-factor uh, auth on password resets. But you're right. If if, if you can get somebody's email. You typically have got pretty good control unless they've set up some additional security. Yeah, and, and so they they actually in this article they talk about this uh, the case of this uh, lady named Alexandra Alexandra Chalupa. Oh, um, yeah, we're getting hate mail on that one. Sorry, um, and and uh, she apparently worked for the DNC. And was investigating the the relationship between one of Trump's Donald Trump's campaign uh, campaign workers, or I think it's his campaign chairman, and someone from uh, s- some Ukrainian politician, and allegedly was being dogged by uh, uh, by someone who who kept breaking into her Yahoo account, and e- even though she had been repeatedly changing the password. And it sounds like, uh, from at least the insinuation in the article, is that some of the source code that was stolen enabled the attacker to create a, a what they call a, a, a cook, you know, magic cookie, which is a little scary that <laughs> they apparently right. had that facility in the code. But well, I'm sure well, it was for debugging. I'm sure it made perfect sense when they coded it. But you know, so if we rewind a while. We talked about Yahoo in the past, and I think it was Alex Stamos that left in protest. Remember this story? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, because because somebody had modified the code to inject magic cookies, right. and the for, allegation and the alleg- for the government. Yeah, and the allegation was yeah. it was for the at the government's request, and he, and 
uh, and, I don't and know. as I recall, the story is they bypass the internal security team. Right. Let's do it. So, yeah. so I guess it is. I guess here's my question, right? And it's a rhetorical question because we don't know the answer. So, in the case, in this specific case of Alexandra Chalupa, was it you know the government who had impl- implanted this you know magic cookie facility, or was you know what was this magic cookie facility that the government had requested put in, you know, stolen by some outside actor and then used, like right. you know, so which again, is, which is everything we say about why backdoors for just law enforcement are a bad idea, right? Because you cannot control it to be just for law enforcement, right? And it certainly seems like that's what's happened here. Yeah, that somebody got a look at the code, figured out that there was this magic backdoor, perhaps included. On request of the government, perhaps not, and they exploited it. In theory, right? There's a lot of conjecture here. Let's be very clear: we're we're extrapolating from the little details we have. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a you know a made-for-TV movie on FX <laughs> at some point. True. Yes, Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> no, because no, then all the systems would shoot each other at the end, which is <laughs> not very realistic. Michael Bay. Car chases. <laughs> right. All the monitors exploding as, as they go <laughs> on starships and in Michael Bay movies. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, I, boy, I, I don't even know what, where to, where to begin with this, this particular story. Um, we, you know, we, we talked in the past about the, you know, the, the, during the 500 million breach record breach issue um if if you're sitting on a billion records of customer data you kind of have a responsibility at least in my view to do to do a a pretty good job of protecting it and i'm not sure just in hindsight i'm not sure that's actually what happened here but again we don't we don't know the means by which this data was stolen right I mean, it, it could have been a backup tape. It could have been, you know, it could have been an insider. It, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things we don't understand about how uh, that that happened. And I'm not sure, by the way, that they actually know, right? Uh, or, or if they, you know, if they do, they're certainly not saying. But uh, in, in any it's event, got, it's got to suck to be in the infosec team over there right now, though. Man, that's got to hurt. Yeah, I I had heard that uh, Verizon, because you know, their Yahoo, for those who don't recall, is in the process of being acquired by Verizon, and in the wake of the previous disclosure disclosed breach, uh, Verizon, it was both the, that that breach and then also the alleged cooperation with the government. Um, Verizon actually was apparently going uh, reportedly going to pursue a twenty percent reduction in in uh acquisition cost i i i had heard some rumors uh, that they were going to take another run in the wake of this one but you know i guess the good news is right they probably don't have much more to lose i think that's some famous last words <laughs> well i i suppose all the records and all the users from 2013 through today i suppose they could lose those Anyway, I digress. Yeah. I don't have a, I don't have much useful. This is just a 
dumpster yeah. fire. I yeah, I think at some point we just have to say it is what it is and good luck. Don't do this. Don't be Yahoo. Right. <laughs> Don't be a Yahoo. <laughs> All right. There you go. That's the story. That's the show. Thank you. <laughs> and on that cheery note, it's the holidays. It's the holidays. <laughs> Happy holidays, everyone. I hope. I hope. Uh, serious. Seriously, though, I hope you have. Hope you all have a, a great holiday season. If if this is what you celebrate, and uh, we will. Uh, we will certainly be talking again very soon. We, I, I, I'm hoping it won't be another two or three weeks until we talk again. Um, I suspect, given that next Sunday is is uh, Christmas, we'll probably be a, a day or two delayed. So, um, again, a shout out to our Patreon donors. Thank you so much for your generosity. Absolutely. Thank you. You guys are awesome. And uh, thank you again for listening. And just to uh, uh, to let you know, you can find all the, the links to the stories we talked about tonight on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Kell on Twitter at Lurg. You can follow me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. Anything else you'd like to say? No, just uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, have a happy holidays. Oh, don't forget, we do have a Slack channel that I'm woefully bad at, at hanging out in. I need to get better at that. But um, thanks, as always. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.